0: probably one of the most famous storm uh, stories about Jesus in the Gospels. There's a couple of them. Uh, we, love, we love the storm stories about Jesus. When I read storm stories about Jesus, it reminds me of storms in my own life. One of the first that I can remember was the day that I got married to Brianna. Not that Brianna was a storm, but our wedding was marked by a series of storms. When I first met Brianna, it was at Reality Carpinteria, And she had been walking down the steps leading a trail of three to four year olds in the children's ministry. I had come out the double doors uh, leading worship as an intern about 10 years ago. And I saw her and I stopped and I was like, who is that person? And for the next few weeks, I I, I quickly learned that she was coming down the steps at precisely the right, the exact time every single week because she volunteered in the kids' ministry. I had been coming out of the same double doors every Sunday because I was leading worship. And I quickly remembered the movie uh, uh, Groundhog's Day by Bill Murray. Anyone remember Groundhog's Day? Where Bill Murray gets the same chance over and over, the day kind of repeats itself magically so that he can do the same thing, uh, so that he can adjust, make slight adjustments in order to win the woman. I had my own Groundhog's Week. And so Sunday after Sunday, I would make these adjustments. I'm like, okay, she's coming down the stairs. I missed her last time. I need to adjust. I'll play that last song just a little bit longer. I'll add a couple, for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. But I'll, I'll just pro- prolong that song and we'll line up. And then I realized I need a plan. I can't just like walk out and meet her and just stand there. That would be creepy. I need to be doing something. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll walk. Like, a, I don't know, how should I walk? I'll, I'll walk calm and collected. Like, oh, I, di- I didn't know you were there, you know? That didn't work. I didn't get her eye contact. So the next week, I just tried it again. Groundhogs week. I'm like, I'm gonna walk with squared shoulders, like an MMA fighter. That didn't work either. The next, wor- the next week, I was like, okay, she's probably a spiritual person. I should be like, I should walk like a worship leader or whatever. Wh- however they walk, like just entranced with God or whatever maybe she'll like like that didn't work either finally by the grace of God we make eye contact we're just staring at each other and and then I I just click into gear I'm like yeah she looks at me rolls her eyes and walks in the other direction and the pursuit began that Sunday a pursuit that would last for about a year and a half uh, until I finally realized that I should just walk up to her and ask her out on a date and she said yes which means I wasted about two years doing a bunch of other trivial stuff when I should have just asked. But that moment was so, fu- it was too good to be true. It was like, I- she said, yes, okay, I can't mess up. I have to do everything perfectly. After about a year and a half of dating, uh, uh, we got engaged to uh, get married. And then all I could think about, she was thinking about the wedding, all I could think about was destination honeymoon. I cannot mess this up. I, we can't just go anywhere, anywhere. I can't just take her to like Wisconsin. Like I've got to take her to the best place in the whole world. Where is the best place in the whole world? I'd been watching movies, so I knew that that was Italy. The problem was, I didn't have any money. So I sold everything that I had. I lived homeless for months and just started racking up money. I, I sold uh, my, my dream guitar, a 1962 reissue Gibson Les Paul with flamed maple. I did everything that I could. I was like, I have, to, I have to keep this woman. I have to do everything that I can. I've got to do just the best, the best week that she's ever experienced in her life. I've got to take her to the best place in the world. I must dazzle her. She must be dazzled. And so finally, uh, I didn't even tell her. I was like, where, where are we going after, after the wedding? Uh, I don't know, like Oxnard, maybe something like, you know, some, something fun. Just don't, don't worry about it. I tell her the day of our, our, our wedding. I build it up, I'm like, we're going to Italy, baby, it's going to be awesome, we're going to be in canoes, it's going to be so sweet, and she is dazzled. Now, I don't know at what point things started to fall apart, but when our flight got delayed by a snowstorm in Paris, which by the way, sounds really romantic, but the airport in Paris does not look like the rest of the city of Paris. The airport looks like my childhood library, except without the books. Our flight got delayed by a snowstorm. We were there in the airport for about 24 hours. And at that point, things just started to unravel. Our luggage got lost. We wouldn't find our luggage that we had for about two weeks' travel until we got back home a month later. Uh, after we fu- the snow started to lift, we took a flight into Italy I was like, okay, it's okay. There's going to be redemption. It's going to be awesome. I've been planning, saving up for this, going broke for this. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be her wildest dreams. Immediately a downpour in Italy. We didn't have any clothes. We're getting soaked out in the street. And I think to myself, what are we going to do? I look over at a store. I, can't, I don't speak Italian. I don't know where to go. I go to the nearest store. Spend, I go to a, the highest-priced store in the neighborhood. I didn't know where I was going and spent all of my spending money on a, a single pair of clothes that we would wear for the next 10 days, washing them every day in the sink and in the bathtub, washing our clothes. At one point, I saw tears like coming down my wife's face on our honeymoon, and I'm like, I'm blowing it. This is not, this is not how it was supposed to go down. Ten years later, we're now laughing about it because we have grown so deeply in the, in the love and patience of God. But at the time, we're like, no, storm after storm after storm after storm. Literal storms. Now, some storms are worth laughing at years later. At the end of the day, we were in a fun place. We had a few laughs. We ate some gelato. We came back. We didn't die. Sometimes storms hit us, and they're a little less lucky. Sometimes they're truly disappointing, Sometimes the storms in our lives are devastating. Sometimes they're depressing. And there are storms in life. And storms that hit our lives can be unexpected. Think of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and the unexpected storm that hits them. Have you ever seen uh, pictures of the Sea of Galilee? It's not actually an ocean or a sea. It's a lake. You can see both ends on a boat in the middle of it. And you might even think as you're on there that, gosh, this is so serene and beautiful. How could a storm like we see of biblical proportions land on such a nice, cute little pond? But this, this Galilean lakeside is perfectly designed for vicious storms. 2,000-foot uh, mountains carry this cool, dry weather that shoots down into the valley, onto the surface of the water, which is 680 feet below uh, sea level, which houses that Mediterranean warm weather. As soon as they collide, it has the capability of creating violent winds. And those violent winds on such a shallow lake, only 200 feet below the, uh, the surface, can whip that up into something that is capable of capsizing a boat. And this can happen within minutes. And so Peter and his boys can be out on a fishing trip with the sun in the sky, with a, a lake-like glass, and in a matter of minutes can be caught in a storm that was truly unexpected the sea of galilee is actually perfectly designed for vicious storms you might say yeah so's my life perhaps some of you have experienced the winds of life changing all of a sudden for some of you maybe you've run into some unexpected storms in your own life perhaps even right now you've been through it and your boat so to speak Uh, feels like it's filling with water and you're asking yourself, what am I going to do about this? And we have to take note that in verse 22 through 23, Jesus actually sends the disciples into this environment. He sends his boys into an environment that is perfectly geared for vicious storms. We have to take note of that. That is significant because sometimes some of us take storms as a sign that God has abandoned us. When things fall apart, when our plans don't work, when we're suffering, when we're encountering difficulty, we can say, like the disciples in verse 24, Master, we're perishing. We're perishing. We can interpret the trials in life as though we're doing something wrong or as though our faith isn't working anymore. Perhaps if the trials keep going, if the storms uh, keep insisting, We can even be tempted to lose hope during those storms. But there's something about what Jesus says in the midst of the storm that should cause us to see that the storms in your life, there's more to them than you may think. Notice that Jesus, after he calms the winds with his word, looks at the disciples and he doesn't say, in response to their, we're perishing, he doesn't say, yeah, too bad. We'll see you in heaven. (laughs) Nor does he say, "Well." Pick yourself up by the bootstraps, hold your boat together. He says, Where's your faith? After he deals with the problem, he looks at his disciples and says, Where's your faith? Where's your faith? You know what faith is? Hebrews chapter eleven, verse six says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence or the conviction of things that we don't see. If we were to apply that to this situation in the boat, we could say faith is the ability to see the hope that you cannot see in zero visibility of suffering and trial. Faith is the ability to see hope in the zero visibility of the storm. Jesus asking, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Faith is not the ability to see our true potential in the storm. Faith is not faith in faith itself. Faith is not even Jesus saying to the disciples or to you, just pull your boat together. It's going to be all right. Just do a better job. Hold the boat together. Faith in this case is locking eyes on Jesus and coming to that point in your spiritual life where you can say with conviction, I'm not the only person in the boat. There's somebody in the boat with me. Yes, there's a storm, but there's somebody else in the boat. We're not talking about Mr. Rogers here. We're talking about the guy from whom Genesis speaks of when it says that God spoke creation into existence by his powerful word. That he created the wind and he created the expanse of the sky and the land and the water itself. Colossians says that all things were created by him and for him and he holds all of creation together by the word of his power. And this same guy is in the boat. Faith is the ability or the gift in seeing that that guy who commands the weather is standing in the boat with you. The same person who can command storms is in the boat with you. Sometimes I see examples like this and I ask myself, but why did he need a storm? If he's trying to develop, you know, his disciples to grow in some case, why couldn't he do it on some lakeside in Washington? Why can't God develop my faith in a nice house on the APS? Why can't God give me a Bugatti to drive around, you know, uh, uh, a Cabrillo Street and teach me how to grow spiritually in uh, success and a dreamy life and a lack of suffering and trial? Why does it always seem to involve a storm? Uh, Peter, who's almost certainly one one of the boys in the boat with Jesus right here, would several years later write his own letter to a group of of believers, new believers. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, he says this. He's encouraging them. And he says, in all of this, speaking about your salvation, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. hear what he's saying there? He's saying you have the ability as believers to rejoice even though your life has been marked with storms. Why? Listen to the next line. These, speaking of the storms, these storms have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you hear that? The storms are not an accident. The storms have come so that something out of that storm will impact your faith. What is faith? The ability to see what really matters when there's zero visibility. Peter is saying, years after his own storm in Galilee, he's saying, the trials in your life have come, and God does not always bring you out of them. Sometimes he will lead you right through them. And the purpose of those storms and trials and difficulties and disappointments is to refine your faith so that you are able to see what really matters instead of only seeing the circumstances. In other words, what Peter is saying years after his own literal storm is that storms can actually be a catalyst for your faith. 20, uh, verse 22 through 23 is, sim- is just a vignette of the Christian life. It's just a, a small pocket window of what our life following Jesus is going to be like. This whole story. Uh, let me put it in a, in a visceral visual for all of you, okay? Okay. I'm going to use this whole congregation. I'm going to start with this this wing of the building over here. This wing right here, you are the launch point on Galilee. You got it? You're where the disciples started. This is the launch point of Galilee. This is the southern tip of Galilee. That's you. Good job. Over here, you are the destination. You're where uh, uh, Gesserines is. You're on the opposite side of the lake. You're where all the good stuff is about to happen. Good job. You are the storm. You're the stormy Galilee. (laughs) Okay? Do you see how this works? This is a model of the Christian life. There is no way for you to start off, to launch into the destination that God has for you before going through a series of storms has it dawned on anybody that Jesus, before this ever starts out, sends his disciples into Galilee knowing what is going to be waiting for them, and then he sits down and takes a nap. He lays down. He's all, come get me when you need me. You cannot get from one side of the Galilee to the other without going through a series of vicious storms. And why, do we ask? Why do you let us go through the storms? Well, listen to the disciples. Do you know what's waiting for them on the other side of the Galilee? Read the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10. Where a thousand demons, so to speak, will be cast out of a single person. Where 5,000 people will be fed out of a handful of morsels. Where not only will Jesus do incredibly, exceedingly abundant things in front of their eyes, but he will go on to commission and appoint disciples to do what he did. He'll send 70 of them out, two by two, in order to cast out demons and to proclaim the gospel. He has incredible things lined up for them. Your destination was created by God, and it is good. But before they could see that, they had to be tested by the storms of Galilee. There are destinations for you as well. Do you know that the book of Ephesians says that you are God's masterpiece? Literally, in the Greek, it, is, it means that you are God's poem, his masterpiece, his artwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you might walk in them. There are good works destined for every single man and woman and child in this build, building. But before you get to the destination, you're going to have to go through some testing. And we often look at the testing. We look at the storms in life, and we say, God has abandoned me, or I'm not doing something right. Or my faith isn't working, I'm just going to stop because it's not working. But brothers and sisters, it was only through the storm that the disciples were able to say in verse 25, who then is this man? It was only by coming through the storm that the disciples went from looking at the flood in their boat to looking at the man in their boat and saying, who is this guy that even the winds and the, uh, the water obeys? Sometimes God's deepest work in us happens only through the wildest storms around us. We have to reprogram the way that we think about the storms in our life. We have to think differently about storms. We don't have to embrace them. We don't have to like them. We don't have to be weird about them. Like, I like the difficulties in life, I like to suffer. We just have to recognize that that is a normal part of life and we have to reprogram the way that we think about them. The storm isn't always a bad thing. We can't control the storms in our life, but we can choose whether we want to waste them. There are going to be times in your life where God must bring you through a storm in order to get you to the destination that he's calling you to be. Just like the disciples, you have a destination. God has called you into good works, whatever that may be. It might be launching into a certain industry. It might be starting a business. It might be being a stay-at-home parent, it might be uh, being a firefighter, it might be being a teacher, it might be uh, starting your own business for the first time, it might be just being faithful as a husband or a spouse, or in your singleness, The, the variety of options are endless, but the calling is the same, God has good works planned for you to step into. But before he brings you to those moments, he will bring you through storms. And some of them will be small storms. That uh, honeymoon experience for Brianna and I, in retrospect, 10 years later, was a small storm that we're able to laugh about now. And storms just like it that would come along. Storms in your life that are sometimes small. God will sometimes bring you through small storms to work out the spiritual muscle of your faith for the bigger storms that would come later. With Peter, whoever else is in this boat, they had some small storms. They didn't die. They didn't lose their limbs on the Sea of Galilee. This was nothing in retrospect, nothing compared to what they would face. Peter, according to history, would be crucified upside down by Nero. And he would go to his death proclaiming, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the true king of the universe. Paul would be beheaded in prison. Andrew, one of the disciples, would be killed on an X-shaped cross. John would be thrown into a vat of boiling oil and burned alive. And the list goes on and on and on. These same disciples who were in the boat screaming, we're going to die, somehow had the tenacity by the power of the Holy Spirit to see what was waiting for them, the true storms in life, and to say, there's somebody in the boat with me. Sometimes God will refine your faith through a bunch of small storms in order to get you through the big ones coming up later. Don't waste the storm. Don't waste your storm. I love this line in verse 25. It says in verse 25, And he said to them, where's your faith? And their response, Luke says, and they were afraid and they marveled. (laughs) That's such an awkward sentence right there. And they were afraid and they marveled. Which one? Both. And they were afraid and they marveled. They went from worry to wonder in one sentence flat. This is the effect of having your eyes opened to see who's in the boat with you. Not just anybody. Not just your spouse. Not just your best friend not yourself realizing your full human potential seeing Jesus in the boat with you from worry to wonder in one sentence flat there is so much the people in a city like this may face you don't think about it on the surface because it's Santa Barbara it's nice it's pretty People like food, they like the beaches, the weather is perfect, except for when it's not. And unexpected storms hit, and sometimes they're literal, like the one that hit in January, shooting an avalanche of mud and debris through neighborhoods, decimating homes and neighborhoods, taking the lives of 21 people. And sometimes they're figurative. Sometimes storms are the ones that rock our families, shatter our marriages, fill our singleness with hopelessness and despair, make us want to quit our jobs, make us want to quit our faith, make us want to quit the church, make us want to quit each other, make us want to quit Jesus. And it can be very easy to move into a city like this attracted to all of the things that everybody else is attracted to. Life is so easy. And then you find out in the first year that it is not. There are going to be a handful of things that people will hang on to in the moment that storms hit your life. And this is a good time to start thinking about what you're going to cling to. Don't waste your storm. Whatever you're going through today, your story doesn't have to end with a boat full of water. It can end with a heart full of wonder. I'm going to ask uh, Robert and Colette to come out here as we sing. I want you to think not about the big storms in years to come, but uh, about the ones that we, we encounter on Monday and Tuesday. The ones that we'll encounter on Wednesday and Thursday. The ones that happen on a frequent basis are disappointments, the disillusionment, the setbacks, the suffering, the trials. And I want you, before they come, to reprogram the way that you will think about them when they come. I'll just give you three things. The first thing is to ask yourself, when an unexpected storm hits, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God in this? Just by asking that question, you're already changing the way that you think about that storm. For some of you, you want to give up. You're in the middle of something right now, and you want to give up. You've already assumed that God has left you, that he's distant, that he's silent, that he's far away. And it's time to begin training, reprogramming our minds to see God in a different way. That he's not just present to bless in our affluence and in our comfort and in our security, but he's still there in the darkness. He's still there when our boat is filling with water. We just might not be able to see Him. And so He uses those moments to expand our faith, to see what we could not see because it's zero visibility. And so we begin to ask ourselves, where is God in this? I know He's here somewhere, what is He doing? The second thing I want you to ask yourself or to to move into is to trust Him with the process. Because we can always count on God being present with us in the storm. We don't always know what he's going to do. Sometimes, like in this case, he will calm the storm. First thing he does with the disciples as they're screaming, I'm perishing, is he speaks to the storm and he causes the winds to die down. But in Mark chapter 6, he doesn't do that. He simply steps into the boat and he says, Take heart. I am with you. Have courage. Don't be afraid. See, in your life, there might be times where God calms the external storm around you. There will be other times where he lets it go. He lets it rage. And he'll calm the storm going on inside you. Either way, our only responsibility is to trust him with whatever the process is. And the last thing is to persevere. Sometimes because he never gives us numbers, he never gives us a date for how things are going to end... He never tells us the timeline or the countdown clock for when he'll show up and express himself and bring us to a place of victory or bring us to the destination. We're just left to trust, but trust and persevere because there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. Where is God in the storm? Trust him with the process and persevere. Because at the end of the day, the gospel of the good news is this. that the kingdom of God has come close to people who could not reach it or deserve it. And it has come close to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ who after dying and rising from the dead ascended to the right hand throne of God and sits there in power proclaimed by the Father himself to be both King and Lord of the universe. And of the person who has eyes to see and ears to hear. This is the guy who's standing in the boat with you. And the moment that you're able to see that by grace through faith, you can move from seeing the flood in your boat to seeing the person who's standing in your boat. And when that happens, you will be willing to go with him anywhere. Where are you at in your spiritual journey today? I want to invite you to bring that before God and ask him, what are you doing right now with me? And teach me to trust you in the process.